I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Levin. I'm a grief therapist and the founder of From Grief to Growth, the host of the podcast Untethered, Healing the Pain from a Sudden Death, and I'm the creator and author of the Growing After Traumatic Loss course. I provide support, guidance, and teachings to help you with the aftermath of chaos, trauma, and grief. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Untethered, Healing the Pain from a Sudden Death. I'm Dr. Jennifer Levin, and I specialize in traumatic death and helping individuals through the struggles, pain, trauma, chaos of an unexpected death. Today's podcast interview is the second part of my interview with author Kim Canton, who wrote the book, Where Yellow Flowers Bloom, a true story of hope through the unimaginable loss, which was released Friday, April 9th. Kim's memoir is a heartfelt testament of her love as a mother and her devotion as a wife in the midst of a sudden loss and trauma, and it has an enlightened perspective on mortality. Through her patience, perseverance, and willingness to be open to help and to heal, Kim confirms love's ability to connect and transcend beyond life. In our first interview, Kim focused on how she coped with her traumatic grief after the death of her husband and her son while she was searching for his remains for almost three years. In today's interview, Kim shares more about her healing and living with long-term grief after the sudden and unexpected death of both her husband and her son. Hi, Kim. Welcome back. Um, This is the part two of our interview, and this is actually the first time I've ever done a part two of uh, my podcast. However, with the, um, the death of both your husband and your son, and all of the themes in your story that relate to both to sudden and unexpected loss, I wanted to make sure that we had enough time to explore all of the different topics that so many of the listeners of this podcast um, experience. And there's so many ways I think that they can benefit from what you have um, expressed a willingness to share. So um, I can't thank you enough for being um, willing and able to come back again today and um, to share such a personal and um, vulnerable experience with us. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, thanks. So for anyone who is just joining us today, I really encourage you to go back and listen to our first episode, which um, aired on April 7th. So what Kim has to share to us today um, can be put in context. So let's start off our interview today by asking you, what actually helped you most in your grief or still helps you in your grief? Probably what helped me most was um, the tribe I put around myself, the compassion of friends mm-hmm. um, and letting people come help me. Um, I was pretty independent person. I was the helper of others. And so this kind of flipped my role as I was the one who needed help and just being open and vulnerable to the compassion of other people and getting a tribe of people who were comfortable in the space, you know, because some people aren't comfortable in the space and um, there's, there's angels that showed up. Mm -hmm. And I think um, angels that showed up who were supposed to be here 
and they made a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think, um, you know, part of those angels were the sacred search team for me. And, and then I, and intuitive readings really helped me too. Yeah. We're going to actually talk about that in, in a few minutes. Okay. Did you have people who weren't able to support you or who weren't comfortable? You know, everyone, everyone's great. Everyone did their best, but I did have, there were people who are my dear friends who are still my dear friends who I could just tell, um, they didn't want this tragedy to happen. Yeah. They didn't want their friend to change. They were uncomfortable as they just naturally are uncomfortable with deep grief emotions, maybe that they have unresolved grief and it was triggering for them. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of interesting that some people, and I remember talking to my therapist about it. She goes, well, Kim, sometimes it gets really fatiguing, right? Mm. Um, for them, they didn't ask for it. Their friend has changed and, um, the dynamics of what you're, because you've changed the dynamics of your friendship has changed a bit. And so, um, you know, everyone was terrific, but I do like, there's some friends of mine that I would have thought would have been more present in my life and who seem to have taken a back seat a little bit more, but that's because other angels came in who I think were uniquely supposed to be there to help me and were able to help me. So I don't hold anything against them other than there's a recognition of things have shifted and friendships ebb and flow. Right. Right. And, um, so there's just a recognition of that. And then look, I retired too. And so if you've got friends who are still in this huge, heavy grind of work and they're exhausted coming home, you know, it's like my world's a little different. Yeah. My day to day is a little different. So the people that I'm going to be in my day to day is going to be different. Yeah. Seems like you have a very healthy perspective in the way you're able to mm-hmm. yeah. look at that. Yeah. You know, perhaps one of the biggest min- misconceptions among people who've not experienced a traumatic death is that the grief experience ends or that there's a grief <laughs> timeline. Um, with that said, how would you describe your grief now, um, five years after the mudslides have occurred? Lighter. I think my grief is lighter. Um, it, it's, it, it's dissipated. Uh, it, you know, you learn to kind of live alongside of it mm-hmm. and, and life goes on and other things are happening in your life that are filling new experiences and new memories. So I would say it gets lighter. It doesn't go away. I mean, grief, I think for me is a big bowl of spaghetti and a few meatballs and it's all intertwined and because it's nonlinear and you don't know, you know, when you're going to get to the meatball. Um, but, um, it's lighter five years after it's lighter. But I imagine there's still those moments of just intense pain. Yeah. And for me, they happen a lot when I'm driving. I don't know why. Maybe because I'm, my guard's down, like I'm driving and then my guard's down. So, you know, my husband had a Chevy Silverado. He loved his white truck. And so when I see a white Chevy Silverado, I think of Dave. And um, 
I saw there. Oh, I was, I was going past the elementary school yesterday and I just remembered a picture. I took a Jack when he was in sixth grade, it was for like a sixth grade picture. And he had his funny hands up kind of like to the sky, like, mom, what are you doing? Doing another picture. And I just, as I drove by, I just envisioned him walking down with that same, that same look. And so I just kind of let it happen like I am now, right? Like you, you just let some of those feelings flow through you because those are healing. And those, I think, let me know that I loved them, you know? Yeah. I think that's a very encouraging word, lighter. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you cope now when those experiences of intense moments of grief occur? I let them happen. I think I, I honor them and I let them happen. You know, it was before, you know, before this whole tragedy, I was, you know, a professional, I was an executive and, you know, you know, was, uh, working with a large number of people in an organization. And so I kind of had to keep it together. And now I think I'm just more authentic in the human vulnerability of it all. And so if I tear up, like I just did a minute ago, I let that happen. And it's, it's part of the human experience. And, um, I just honor it, I guess. Okay. How would you say that grief has changed you as a person? Mm. I think I'm more empathetic. I've learned profoundly one of the human experiences that we all probably end up learning one day, which is profound grief, right? Mm -hmm. And so I understand that more. And so I'm more empathetic in regards to that. Um, I would say I'm more vulnerable. Um, I'm um, more open to trusting the process, whereas before I was a high driver, want it done, want it down. Now, you know, my job was a director, like, and you're you're just getting stuff done. Um, and now, things I can't always get my way, and uh, that's not how life works. And so, I trust the process that it's going to unfold at the time it's supposed to unfold. And it was the funny part is when. Jack was first missing. Um, Sister Kathleen is this, the nun at my church and she's just, just a hot ticket. She's just terrific. And she's a friend of mine. And um, she goes, Kim, all in God's time, uh, all in God's time and God's time is the right time. And at first when she said it, I would just get mad at her. Like, what are you saying? That's not, I mean, it's, it's not, it wasn't funny. It, there was nothing good about it because I'm like, I want him found now. And through the process of three years of looking for Jack, I think she was spot on because if I had found him early on, like say in the first month, Jack wasn't in one piece. He probably got electrocuted. He was in multiple pieces and he was probably scattered. I don't know if I could have handled that, but because I spent three years searching, um, it gave me time to prepare for that because first we're looking for a, almost a six foot tall, 170 pound male. And then we're like, well, we might not be looking for the whole body now. Like, so it, it evolved, but all in God's time and God time is the right time. By the time 
three and a half years later that we did find some of Jack, I was just grateful for the find. I didn't fall apart like I probably would have if early on we had just found what we found. So I think trust the process. So I learned trust the process. Um, and I'm much more spiritual. I'm much more spiritual um, of the universe. And I don't think there's any coincidences in life. Um, so I'm just much more spiritual of a higher power. I mean, I was always have faith, but um, there's synchronicities that happen that are just, um, there's angels working on our behalves, I think. Has grief um, changed the way you view the world as a whole? Hmm. I well, I guess what I would say on that is I think we're each each of us are put on earth as souls. We use a some kind of we 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 rent a shell. <laughs> and the shell I have has brown hair right now and it's five foot tall. Um and we're supposed to evolve during our time on earth. And I think we're supposed to evolve toward love. And um, and I think we're given challenges in life that maybe present themselves so we can grow and evolve. And I think, I think, I certainly, I think my friends would say I'm, I'm much more vulnerable and, and open now than I was. I'm, I'm, I'm just more there. I'm just more present. Yeah. In your book, you share your experiences with several mediums or intuitives, mm -hmm. as you called mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And there was one conversation towards the end of the book with, um, I think, an evolutionary astrologer mm -hmm. who said that you had experienced the death of your family before, but that you wouldn't have to do it again. Can oh. you share more about this conversation? Sure, and Jennifer. That was what, what I'm, I'm sorry, I cut you off. What else would you want? I can oh, share the, the conversation. And the feelings that you had afterwards about yeah. that conversation. Cause I was yeah. really struck by that. So Kristen, Kristen and I went to UCLA together. And uh, so I knew her from there and we were at the sorority houses next to each other. And then we happened to, she, she worked in the same company I did. And she actually took over my job as I got promoted. And so I knew her at first, you know, and, and we worked in medical device and at a time where, you know, you wore the Navy blue suit, um, and you were conservative and that's when, you know, she was working in this medical center with me. And then a little while later, I'd see her back at corporate when I took the corporate role and she looked more like Stevie Nicks circa the rumors album with like this velvety beret hat and flowy dresses. I'm like, what's going on, Kristen? And, um, she goes, I'm going to be an evolutionary astrologer. I'm like, well, what is that? And, um, she told me, she says, really like looking at individual individuals uniquely and what's going to happen for them in their life and how they're supposed, their soul's supposed to progress. I'm like, okay, I, that's interesting. I, I don't know much about it, but that's very interesting. And so she knew my husband. And so after, um, after I was out of the hospital on the rental, I reached out to her and said, um, this is what's happened to Dave and Jack. And she picked up the phone right away. And she's like, um, cause I think I just, I think I texted her on LinkedIn or something. And 
And, and she goes, oh my God, Kim, she goes, this is not the first lifetime you've lost your family. And I go, what? She goes, yeah, you've carried some of your family on your back like a warrior before. This is not the first time. And she goes, but before when it happened, you couldn't get past it. And this time, you're going to get past it. You're going to crumble and reassemble. And then she told me the, um, the metaphor of kinzuki, which is this Japanese art form. And a lot of people might recognize it. So if there's a beautiful porcelain bowl and the porcelain bowl breaks, instead of throwing the bowl away in this art form, they assemble it back together with a gold lacquer. And so when you see this porcelain bowl with this beautiful gold lacquer where the cracks were, it actually is almost more beautiful than the original. And it's the metaphor for the, the art of the precious scars. You show what happened to you. And that's part of your story. Um, so I was kind of freaked out when she told me that. I said, how does this not happen again? I, I cannot, I, I will not have this happen again. And what was so fascinating to me, and I told her, I said, when they first told me in the hospital, Dave died, and we knew Jack hadn't been found there was a really weird sense of familiarity I had that was really creepy. As, and so when Kristen said, this isn't your first lifetime, you've lost your family, and I reflected on this odd familiarity when I was in the hospital and they told me Dave died, uh, it was pretty stunning and and uh a pause point for me for sure. And, um, so her, her comment is you have to get through it. You have to do the grief. You have to know you can get back to life and thrive again. And she said in this lifetime, you're, you're going to evolve and do it. And that's why I think we're all here to evolve, to learn something. And by golly, I'm learning this one because I don't want it happening again. Very understandably. <laughs> right? Yes. Right? Wow. Yeah. Moving forward, what do you think is the best way that you can honor Jack and Dave in your life? I think it's by Lauren and I both living a joyful, meaningful life and thriving and not sitting on a chair and wallowing, but thriving and finding joy again. Um, and, and, and being a, for, I know that they'd want me to still be a good mom to Lauren. So I know they'd want that. Um, yeah, I think, I think they'd want that. I mean, if I ever married again or dated again, I think Dave would smirk his smirk and say, well, I'm okay with it because with me, you proved you have good taste and he would, <laughs> he'd be okay with it um, because he'd want me happy and I would want him happy. Um, and Jack would want Lauren and me like it. We'd want, we loved each other so much that that's how we honor one another is whatever it means for us, whatever our future holds in the future is to find joy again, whatever that joy is. 
I think that's so great. And I, I see so many clients struggle with that um, concept because there's so much guilt of I can't go forward um, or I feel guilty moving forward and having joy in my life because my loved one can't. But they're in pure joy. Well, I think I think they're in pure joy. So they're in they've graduated. They're in pure joy. Well, not everyone's able to have that belief system. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's an intellectual belief that I think my loved one wants me to be happy. But the action and getting over the guilt of is such a hard thing to implement. And so. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you're able to express that honoring Jack and Dave is that you and Lauren, that a way for you to to honor Jack and Dave is for you and Lauren to live your best life. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think other um, listeners hearing that, that can be so motivating. So thank you Mm -hmm. for sharing that. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Yeah. You know, another section that I was so drawn to in your book, and it's exactly what we're just talking about, is in your book, you mentioned you were even questioning your hope to be able to find joy again. Um, And um, as I said, I noticed that so many clients of mine often fear they will never experience joy or they will never find happiness in their life again. And this may have nothing to do with like the guilt, but they're so encumbered. Um, and I even used a metaphor of the cage of grief earlier this week mm. when I was talking mm-hmm. to clients. Um, mm-hmm. that grief has become a cage mm-hmm. and they just don't know how to go out. And so what are your current thoughts right now about what happiness or joy looks like in your life and what are the types of things that does bring you joy or happiness um i much more simple pleasures do i'm much more it's usually human connection um mm-hmm. and just being grateful for it if i have a girlfriend over and and we're just you know gabbing the joy of the connection. Um, it's more of a simple pleasure. It doesn't have to be hoity-toity. It doesn't have to be. It's the human connection. Um, it's the I love to garden. It's my roses now that it's spring. They're getting ready to bloom, and I replanted calla lilies last spring, and they're doing great because of all this rain. Um, huge um noticing that i think it's i joy for me is in the simple things and the simple things usually have to do with people Mm. and the human connection or even just you know my silly dog he makes me rub his belly before i put him in the crate at night and it's just it's just joyful for me like he's just he's silly he won't go until i rub his belly and i'm like i find joy in that because that's his thing and that's a great thing Right. So what brings your daughter joy right now? Well, she went out with a friend last night and she hadn't done that for a while. And that really brought her joy. And it was lovely to see getting in the jacuzzi with some friends. And um, Lauren loves to sing. 
Mm. And when I, she started to bake now. Um, and so hearing her in the kitchen singing brings her joy. And, um, but I think it's also the, the people stuff, right? Mm. Um, the people who showed up for her, you know, she the, today she came in, she, she, you know, she was with her friend Dylan and it's like, we sat and talked in the driveway for 40 minutes, mom. It was just great. They had a great time, but she was connecting with another human in a way that was super for her soul at the time she, right, she needed. I'm sure that's got to be joy for you as well. Oh God. Yeah. She's had it hard. She's had it hard. Yeah. I think we talked about in our last interview that grief is never ending and doesn't have mm -hmm. a timeline. Mm -hmm. um, and some people believe, um, and it's been written about that, you know, we get to acceptance uh, uh -huh. and, um, you know, that's a, a personal belief. Um, I like the words um, integration um, or understanding. And you use the word um, adaptation. Um, in your book. And I'm curious about what your thoughts are on the word adaptation versus acceptance. Well, I, I love that you, you articulated that because I don't like the word acceptance because to me, it implies okayness. It's not okay that Dave and Jack are gone, right? It's not ever going to be okay. I'm never going to be okay with it, but I can adapt with it. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. Um, and I think in life, all we can do with whatever life throws at us, if it's a car accident, if it's higher interest rates, if it's um, heavy rain, whatever life throws at us, all you can do is look at it and adapt accordingly. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a life skill for anything. And it works for grief too, mm -hmm. that I'm learning to adapt into my new life without the physical presence of my son and my husband, who I miss a lot. And I'm going to adapt into a life that I find joy and meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Have you read, uh, uh, Tara Brock's book, uh, Radical Acceptance. No, no, I haven't. Yeah, it's a great book because it okay. also talks about accepting things and not being okay with it. So, yeah. Um, because yeah, I think there is that misconception that um, we acceptance means okay. And I think yeah, one of my the the lady who helps me with Reiki, um, she she um, studies a lot of the Buddhist um, thinking, and she helped frame something for me that was helpful, and she said. You know, the best thing you can do is not be attached to a specific outcome. Mm -hmm. You know, I really want the red car. If I really, if I don't get the red car, life is going to end. I need the red car, right? Or whatever your thing is. Because I want it. I really want to find Jack's remains. I really, 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 really. And she goes, the more attached you are to the specific mm -hmm. outcome, the more letdown you're going to have if it doesn't happen. And so her, what she advised me is, Try just to be present with what, do your best. You can influence, right? I went out and searched. I can influence. I can get the university team. I can influence to, to try to find his remains. But I can't, I, if I'm so tied to a specific outcome, yeah. like it, 
all it's going to do is let me down. And I think that's fair in life of anything, right? Mm -hmm. You just, you just try to be present in, in the moment of what is happening for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if we can go back a little bit to, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what brought you here, you know, in my professional experience, I've, I have worked with, with people who've experienced the death of loved ones to fires and hurricanes and accidents due to forces of nature. But when we met prior to our interviews, I mentioned you were going to be the first person on my podcast who actually experienced the death of your loved ones from acts of mother nature or a natural disaster. Mm-hmm. You know, unless in an, uh, an act of nature occurs in the community itself, there's not a lot of support or an opportunity to connect with other people in your situation. So mm-hmm. what advice would you give to somebody who has experienced the loss of a loved one from um, a natural disaster? I think I would tell them, keep your faith. I don't think God did this to us. It happened. Um, I'd say, hold on. It will get lighter. Um, And a friend of mine told me the acronym of HOPE, which is hearing other people's experiences, HOPE Mm -hmm. as an acronym, Mm -hmm. that by hearing other people's experiences, Sometimes there's a nugget that you can learn from. That's why my grief group was so helpful for me with mudslide survivors because we got each other mm-hmm. of what had happened to us. Um, so that kind of thinking of hope as an acronym, hearing other people's experiences and seeking those, finding your tribe that does that might be helpful. Um, I think the number one thing I'd say to you is, be gentle on yourself and, and listen to your body. Um, for me, I've um, what's happened the last three months in um, Southern California, I'm in Santa Barbara, but um, it's been record level rain. And um, I think we've had three times as much rain as Seattle uh, for the same period. And consequently in Santa Barbara, there's been multiple evacuation warnings. So the phone is going off and doing this almost Amber alert. And, and for us, that's just terrifying because that happened all the Thomas fire. And then it came in as the, as the muds at my chest, like it came in a little too late. And so I'd say, listen, because I've been listening and observing my behavior and my feelings with it, because I've noticed because of the natural disaster, I in Santa Barbara specifically get hypervigilant. And I, when I get the warning, I'm like, Lauren, we're not getting no driving today. I said, we're staying off the roads. We're staying in the house. And she's looking at me like, mom, I, I want to, I got a job to go to. I got, I got, no, you're not going. And I get over the top. And um, I was two times in where I grew up in Southern California, which is about 90 minutes south of me, for a funeral, and it was raining then, and I was there, didn't bother me at all. Then I was there again a month later, 
It was raining again. Didn't bother me at all. And I'm like, what is the difference? And then I was on the East Coast and it rained there. Didn't bother me at all. I go, what's the difference? And the difference was for me in the natural disaster is those places never let me down before. Mm. Rain was just rain. And when rain happens in Santa Barbara, it's death danger to me. It's death danger. So I'm paying notice to say, hmm, can I work through that with some trauma work? Or maybe Santa Barbara doesn't become, I'll always have a house here, but maybe it's not my permanent place. I don't know. I'm just making an observation that because of my natural disaster in my town where it happened, where there's a big mountain and that mountain crashed down and there's evacuation warnings going off like multiple this past quarter, that I'm, I'm traumatized. I have, I have remnants of that that are, and you know, poor Lauren needs to know, and, and I'm not helping her because, um, I'm probably, um, making her worry more about it when I'm freaked out. Right. Cause she's queuing off of me and that's not healthy either. And when she was up at, she went, she goes to school in the Bay area. The rain doesn't bother her in the Bay area. But she said when she came back to Santa Barbara, she goes, mom, I get triggered. I get triggered around here. So it's just, I'd say natural disasters, listen to, listen, listen and observe, and then work with your therapist on what to do. Yeah. And what would you say to someone who's grieving a loved one whose body, or as your son referred to, whose shell as missing and not yet been found? I would say I am so, so sorry, and I know how brutal it is. And I would, if they're open to it, I would suggest, I, I would say, would she want to know my experience to know how I was so um, relentless and almost desperate to find his remains early on? Um, and then after having some intuitive readings and hearing from Jack and him saying, mom, it's just a shell. I'm okay. That shell's not me anymore. And at first I'm like, be quiet. <laughs> like, I don't believe you. <laughs> like that, That's not true. It can't be. That was the, the baby I birthed, right? That's the, the child I birthed. And after a while, because time, you got to give time, time, right? I gave time, time. And, um, I now believe it, that I think we just have shells when we're, I think our souls rent a shell. It's a, it's a rent a shell program while we're here. And um, the soul lives on and the soul lives on in pure joy. Those are really good words to hang on to. Anything else you'd like to share with us about your book? We're going to have all of the information um, in the show notes and links so our viewers can um, to purchase the book. But anything you'd like to tell us about your book before we close? Sure. Well, it's called Where Yellow Flowers Bloom. And um, it's kind of a metaphor because yellow flowers bloomed where we thought they would never um, in a place that could be really sad. And it's a way to say, let's look at the good things. Um, when, when, when there may not be, um, as a way of living, um, it's on Amazon. Um, and I really hope, I mean, 
Um, I really hope it helps some people through going through tough times. That's, that's why I did it. Right. And it helped me. I, I selfishly, it's helped me heal. And I really hope it, um, I think, and I think it might, I think it help, help get people access to their grief and explore their process. So I, I hope it, I hope it helps people. Well, I know it definitely will. And, um, again, thank you so much for writing the book and, um, bringing so much forward for people to think about and to acknowledge and normalize the experience, um, you know, uh, talking about two deaths and uh, not only that, uh, what we call non-death losses, all of your personal possessions, identity, everything combined with both the loss of your husband and the search for your son. It was just an overwhelming, heartbreaking story. And I definitely impacted me greatly uh, reading it and um, to be able to have the opportunity to follow up with you live and have you on as a guest on my podcast um, is just such a meaningful experience. So thank well, you. I, I enjoyed, yeah, I enjoyed it. And I can tell you, as soon as I learned that you had those podcasts, I got up one Saturday morning once I learned about them. I think I got up at like 4.30 in the morning and I started listening to them. And I'm like, where were you five years ago? Because they're so helpful. And I just, um, you just, I really got a lot out of them. So thank you for doing that. Thank you. Well, this concludes our uh, our interview, but um, there's uh, I encourage all of our listeners to uh, interact with Kim on our Facebook group. So thank you again. Great. Okay, take care now. Bye-bye. I am so grateful to Kim for her willingness to participate in two interviews for this podcast. In today's conversation, there were a new set of themes and takeaways that I hope you as a listener were left with after spending more time listening to Kim's reflections and experiences. It's obvious that at present, more than five years after the mudslides and the death of her husband and her son, Kim still experiences deep pain related to her losses and that her grief also becomes triggered at unexpected times. However, overall, Kim describes her grief as lighter and states that she can experience happiness and is committed to living the best life possible. Kim helped us normalize the long-term experience of grief. We know that the pain and sadness associated with the sudden and unexpected death of our loved ones never goes away. Kim shared that she's now able to honor her grief feelings whenever these emotions surface and that she allows herself to experience the feelings and process her emotions until they soften. We also know that sudden and unexpected death changes us at the very core. In our interview, Kim commented that her grief increased her ability to be more empathetic and vulnerable with others. And this is something I hear from so many people who've also noticed this about themselves as well. She noticed that she's also more present in the world, more open to growth and evolving as a person. However, grief can also make us acknowledge realities in the world or in ourselves that can be painful or hard. 
For example, Kim realized that during her grieving process, she had to acknowledge that she was not always in control of things and that she was not always going to get her way, which is something that I think a lot of people struggle with in grief and they find very challenging. Kim recognized that she's now able to trust the process more. And I just had a conversation with a client the other day who asked, what does this phrase really mean? Trusting the process means to have faith or have a belief that somewhere there's a larger plan or there's something else in place that includes things are going to work out for me for the best, even if you don't understand what that means at the time. To move towards healing, Kim opened herself up to new experiences throughout her grief process, whether it was new types of therapy, new ways to find her son Jack, or advice from people with different skills, including spiritual advisors or what she called intuitives. I've worked with many clients who have fixed mindsets regarding how they want their healing process to work or have an unwillingness to try certain exercises or healing modalities, and this can be very limiting for them. I believe Kim's openness to try new things, to seek advice from different professionals from diverse backgrounds, benefited her greatly and increased her ability to continue to move towards healing when her motivation was challenged, her grief intensified, and the search for her son was long and weary. I was so pleased to hear Kim share newfound experiences with happiness and that different things in her life contribute to new experiences of joy. So many of the clients I have worked with spend a considerable amount of their grief experience questioning the outcome and longing for their life to return to the way it used to be. I wish I had the power to turn back the clock and reverse the tragedies that my clients have experienced, but I don't. Therefore, one of my goals is to help clients shift their energy from wishing their life would return to normal or engaging in the repetitive questions of why to helping them refocus on new things in life that can still elicit happiness. With time and healing, I strongly believe that you can still find happiness again, even within the context of grief. I loved the examples that Kim shared of the new things that bring her happiness and joy. The connection with others, rubbing the belly of her dog, and spending time in her garden. These are simple joys in life. And yes, I'm sure at time, Kim experiences a feeling of bittersweetness with them all, but that does not stop her engaging from engaging in the activities that bring her happiness and joy. Finally, Kim stated that the best way she can honor her husband and son is to live her best possible life. After the death of her husband and son, the loss of her home and all of her belongings, Kim had every reason to close up shop. No one would have blamed her if she said her losses were too great and she felt defeated by life. But she did not and she could not. 
She had the responsibility of her 14-year-old daughter, and she needed to create safety for her, and she needed to find her son. She has continued on and created a new best life possible to honor her husband and her son. And she's written a beautiful book about grief, healing, and hope, Where Yellow Flowers Bloom, A True Story of Hope Through Unimaginable Loss. I truly thank Kim Canton and everyone who shared their stories on my podcast in service of those trying to rebuild their lives after a sudden and unexpected death of loved ones. If you want an opportunity to connect with Kim, please join our Facebook group talking about the podcast Untethered with Dr. Levin. Kim's biography is posted along with her contact information if you would like to connect with her directly. Our next podcast will be on May 10th and will feature psychiatrist Dr. Mariel Tarani, who will talk about how medication can help after a sudden or unexpected death. Thank you so much for joining today's episode of Untethered, Healing the Pain After a Sudden Death. If you're interested in a healing experience after a sudden or unexpected death, I invite you to go to my sister website, www.therapyheals.com slash events to learn about our upcoming grief retreat on Whidbey Island in Washington State, August 5th through 8th, 2023, this summer. Kim Canton has given me permission to share that she's going to be a participant at this retreat. We still have some room left, and the early bird registration deadline is this Sunday, April 30th. I hope to see you there. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to my podcast so you never miss an episode. For help with a sudden and unexpected loss, sign up for my free mini course where I will teach you the three truths about living with a sudden and unexpected loss. Please visit www.fromgrieftogrowth.com to sign up.